our focus today is on hope. And hope um, often is accompanied by pain. Hope is often much greater because of the circumstances of our lives. And I'm going to talk about a topic today with which I have become quite familiar over the last several years. It's the topic of crying. Uh, I had intended this morning to, I started to say preach, but really to just share a little devotional thought from Psalm 91 and then go into time of testimonies, which we traditionally do uh, the week after Thanksgiving. Just have you share about the Lord's blessings in your lives and the ways that He is working and challenging you and bringing you into fellowship with Him and using you in the lives of others. But, of course, uh, circumstances this week have uh, caused me to rethink that, and we're going to look at Psalm chapter 84. Uh, This week there have been more than a few tears shed uh, 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 over the loss of our sister Helen Jernigan. Did you see her here last Sunday? If you were here last Sunday, you probably saw Helen looking so radiant. She looked so good. And within 24 hours, uh, she was in excruciating pain and really uh, would spend the rest of her life that week in states of consciousness, unconsciousness. It's a difficult week for Helen's family. I can assure you that Helen looks far more radiant this morning than she did last Sunday. We can (laughs) give praise to the Lord for that. For the family and friends who are left, though, this is a time of mourning, and it's a good time for us to return to Psalm 84. I just want to encourage as many of you as possible to be back here at 2 o'clock. I know that may require you to change lunch plans, but just be here if you can to support the family. Uh, for a, a time of mourning and grieving, but a time of rejoicing as we remember the life of Helen Jernigan. Also, uh, if you would see David, some of you, we could use a little bit of help rearranging this sanctuary just a little bit. For the, it won't be much, but we'll need a little bit of help doing that for the, for the funeral. I think that we would all agree that there are tears that some tears that we would call good tears. I mean, you've seen them at weddings, at the ends of, uh, 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 of sappy, happy movie-type times and at, at, at babies being born. But we also know about the tears of sorrow when there's pain in our lives, when we lose someone, when we are in deep pain or severe pain or we're in... We're deeply grieving over the loss of a relationship. Maybe a person didn't die, but we're grieving because a relationship has been broken. I mean, can tears of sorrow ever be beneficial? Well, of course they can. It's impossible to have a relationship with Jesus, in fact, until you first acknowledge your sin. And while tears don't always accompany a profession of faith in Christ, they often do. Many people cry when they... Trust Jesus. But what about the tears that flow because of broken relationships and painful physical infirmities? Lost jobs, or as is the case this morning, lost loves. 
Psalm 84 tells us that such tears can be valuable. In fact, tears can be a gift both to us and to other people. Now, you may not see the connection as we read through Psalm 84, but as we look a little closer, I think you will. So, if you would, please stand, as is our custom, when we read the Word, and we'll read Psalm 84. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Father, um, as our hearts today are heavy over the loss of Helen Jernigan, they are also glad because we come before you in your house. And just as the psalmist delighted to be with the people of God in your house, so we rejoice to be together, sharing with one another, listening to your word as the Holy Spirit takes these very words of life and applies them to our hearts. Lord, um, thank you for loving us, calling us to yourself, and for being with us on this day. We ask that your presence would be so real that, Lord, we are keenly attuned to the ways that the Spirit wants to apply your word to our hearts. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and be seated. Well, did you catch the part about tears? I mean, actually, when you read through this psalm, it, it seems like a psalm of rejoicing, and, and it is that. But as we look a little closer, you're going to see uh, there, a significant, specific reference to pain. We're going to spend some time first, though, making a few general observation, uh, observations about Psalm 84. First of all, the author is most likely a Levite, a priest, one who served in the tabernacle or the temple of the family of Korah. 
We're not exactly sure when this psalm was written, so we don't know if the tabernacle was the place he was referring to or the temple. We don't know if it was before or after David. Actually, could have been with King David. He may have been away from Jerusalem with King David in exile, lamenting the fact that he is away from, from, from the house of God in Jerusalem and wanting to be back, or it could have been later. He very much wanted to get back to Jerusalem where the glory of God dwelt at the tabernacle or the temple. Longing. There's a longing desire that is all over this song. Longing for something that has been temporarily lost. God's blessings. His strength and His glory overshadow the whole psalm, causing it to become a perfect pilgrimage song for the pilgrims who would go to Jerusalem for a festival, one festival or feast or another, would sing this psalm, I'm longing to be at the house of God. And they would soon find themselves in that place. This psalm has been called the Pearl of Psalms, and that's pretty high praise for any psalm, but I think you'll understand the honor afforded it with such a title as we go. This psalm opens with poetic language. How lovely, it's poetic love language. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The writer was expressing a love for the, for the house of God. Love for a church uh, is an emotion that is quite foreign to an unbeliever. But for those who love the Lord, they understand the special blessings that they receive here. The Spirit of God goes with us everywhere, but there's something about the church gathered in the house of the Lord that stirs the emotions. Did anyone love Grace Community Church more than Helen Jernigan? I do hope you feel the way that the psalmist felt about the house of the Lord and the way that Helen felt on Sunday mornings when she would come and worship the Lord with us. The English Standard Version translation in verse 2 is really not the best. At the end of the verse, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God should, would better be translated, my heart and flesh cry out for the living God as it is in the NIV. Now, I, I switch from the New International Version to the English Standard Version because I, I really do think it's the most accurate and and the most readable of all the accurate versions. But this is the best version going. But the NIV beats it on this because this is really what the psalmist is saying. My heart cries out for the living God. I'm longing for the living God. At this point in the pilgrimage, the seeker is not so much <clears throat> joyful as he is desperate to get to, to Jerusalem in the presence of God. Of course, God's presence was everywhere, just like it is today. But especially in the Old Testament, they saw the Lord's presence. They, they had seen the way that He came over the tabernacle and especially the temple where the Shekinah glory filled the temple of God. And they wanted to get, He wanted to get back there and, and, and to be in the presence of the Lord. Now certainly, we recognize that God is not only in this house. We can sense God's presence everywhere but even today there's no question that there's a special sense of the Lord's blessings when we gather together on Sunday mornings to worship him in his house the church and pretty much we're going to connect with God with the level of expectation that we bring 
to this place on Sunday mornings. In the same way that the writer cried out, my heart cries out for the Lord. Oh, that we would do that on our way on Sunday morning. Verse 2 is a good model for us. And verse 3 reminds us that part of the temple was open and the psalmist considered the birds that made their home in the awnings of the, of the, uh, of the roof, the area at the top of the temple were blessed. Even the birds are blessed to be in your house. This is a heart longing for Jerusalem. Verse 5, uh, the writer reminds me someone of James Taylor. You know, in my mind I'm going to Caroline. You know that song, don't you? If you'll bring some money, I'll quit singing, but otherwise, <laughs> just kidding. Even though the writer couldn't be in Jerusalem, he was on the way in his mind. I'm already going to Jerusalem in my mind. Verses 6 and 7 are a powerful visualization of the pilgrim's journey to Jerusalem. On the way to, to Jerusalem, the, the, the writer, uh, the journeyer, uh, the traveler would pass through the valley of Baca. The problem is, the valley of Baca is not a real place. Literally, this could be translated, he passes through the valley of weeping. That's what Baca means. It's the valley of weeping. So here are the tears. In Psalm 84. And notice what the tears do. We're told in verse 6 that the pilgrim journeying through the valley of Baca makes it a pool. With rains also filling the well. And then in verse 7, the disciple is taken from one level of strength to another. And he stands before God. So in these two verses, there's a twofold gift of tears. I'm going to work backwards beginning in verse 7 and then go back. To verse 6, they're connected. The kind of strengthening referred to here is what we would call Christian growth or sanctification. He moves from one strength, one level of strength in his walk with the Lord to another level of strength. It's just like stair steps, moving closer and closer to God until he stands before God. Same thing that happens as we spend time in the Word and in prayer, and we begin to feel ourselves being drawn closer and closer to the Lord. But this growth, especially this transition from one level of maturity to another level of maturity, does not take place without tears, without pain in our lives. When we endure pain or we cry for the right reasons, our tears become God's gift to us. Tell me when you grow the most. Tell me when you feel closest to the Lord. Tell me when you, when you sense His presence more than any other. Is it not at a time when you're weeping? Is it not in the valley of Baca? Pain tends to focus our attention. When we are forced to deal with chronic pain, and I'm not talking just about physical pain, emotional pain of some sort, or broken relationships, loss of a job and we're not able to find another one, 
when we're, allow, we're forced to deal with chronic pain and we allow God to keep us from a bitter heart, then we begin to understand what's really important in life. We're going to talk about that this afternoon. Helen Jernigan fit that model or fit that bill very well, and she is indeed a model for many of us. She understood what was important because she endured intense physical pain, intense physical suffering, and yet she kept her focus on the Lord, and she really understood. She knew as well as anyone what's important in life. When we get to this place, we discover intimacy with Jesus that is better than any accolades, any possessions, any thrills in any way that this world has to offer. Tears are indeed God's gift to us. But our tears are also God's gift to others. The weeping pilgrim in verse 6 is in a dry and arid land, and he is filling a well with his tears. And so the next person that takes that same path comes to this pool of tears, and he's desperate, and he reaches down and pulls out water, and he's refreshed. Kind of reminds you of 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, doesn't it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort, comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's a lot of comfort in those two verses. The process is clear. We struggle, God comforts us, and then we're able to walk alongside of the person who is in the same place. I got to tell you, I know. I know exactly what Harold Jernigan is going through right now. And he knows that I know. And that's a comfort to him. It's the way the Lord uses it all. We've seen so many things. Not only in the Jernigans' lives, but Allison and I have seen so many things, the way that God has worked it all together this week for us to minister to one another. And if you've experienced God's unique grace in a specific way, through a specific trial, through a specific valley, the valley of Pekah, which the Lord has led you, then you're in a very unique, you're in a, that's redundant, isn't it? You're in a unique position to minister to others and to bring comfort to others and to pass on what God has given to you. It may be that you can help someone avoid mistakes or avoid a particular level of pain that you endured. Is there anything better than that? I mean, it's... I, just because I've experienced something, especially when I've made a big mistake, I don't want you to go through the same thing. I want you to avoid it. I want to be able to say, hey, 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 be careful. You don't want to go there. Let me share with you what the Lord showed me during this time, even if it means through my mistake. 
That's the gift of godly tears. In verse 8, the writer acknowledges that though we cannot get to Jerusalem, God will still hear his prayers. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you. If you're homesick on Sunday morning, you pray, you understand, you know God's going to hear your prayers. But I want to tell you, in the Old Testament, before Jesus, before the Holy Spirit had come to indwell those who follow the Son of God, God's presence was in Jerusalem. And this was a big deal for him to say, even so, the Lord will hear me. The psalmist, for whatever reason, was away from Jerusalem and unable to get back. And you've been there. You've been away from the church for, for whatever reason and you feel like you're unable to get back. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe there's something else going on in your life. The Lord hears your prayers, but I promise you, He's wanting to bring you back to this place. This place of fellowship where the body of Christ is seen not only through our preaching on the cross, it's gone for the Christmas tree, but... but and, and by the way, I was just thinking this morning... Again, Helen Jernigan, would, I know she would love a Christmas tree at her funeral. I, it's just who she was. But, but God is bringing us, when we're away from Him for whatever reason, we're, or, or we're enduring intense suffering and we feel like the, the, the blessings of God are somewhere else, not on us. He's drawing us back to this place, to the cross of Jesus and to the body of Christ. It is known as the church. In verse 8, it was quite a statement of faith to call God to listen to his prayers in such circumstances. And having said such, the writer transitions. And we know that because of Selah. Now in verse 9, the writer prays for the king. Maybe King David, maybe another king. It appears this king is in some sort of exile. And there's prayers for him, the one who represents God's authority in the nation, and the nation prays for him. You may not see this readily in verse 9, but it's there and it's akin to Jeremiah 22.10. He's saying, weep not for him who is dead, nor grieve for him, but weep bitterly for him who goes away into exile, for he shall return no more to see his native land. You know, you th I think about Jesus' statement to the, to the women who were crying as he was on his way to Calvary. And he said, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the judgment that is coming upon this place. And those who were away from the Lord need to be brought to him, need to be brought back. And in that spirit, the psalmist is praying for the leader of the land which is a good example for us, even though America doesn't have the same relationship with God that Israel had. We ought to be praying for the leaders of our land. Alarmed with fresh perspective, the psalmist restates his love for God's house, representing the blessings of God. How much better, he says, to be in the most menial places of service in God's house than to be in the finest homes in the land where God does not dwell. Have you come to that place in your life? What is it that you thought was so important that you just had to have to make life meaningful? 
And then something came along to destroy your version of the American dream. Praise God for the destruction of the American dream in our lives. And the focus that is brought to a relationship with Him. And as we go through the valley of Pakal, we move from one level of maturity to another. So the psalmist in hope says, I'm coming back. Look at what God does. He provides for us through His Son. And He protects us through His shield. Our only hope in this life or the next is found in the Lord. And those who walk with Him, those even who endure the tears of Baca, which ultimately is all of us sooner or later, will find God's favor and honor on their lives. And so the conclusion, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. In case you're not here this afternoon, trusting in the Lord doesn't mean that everything is going to always be okay. Trusting in the Lord, believing God, doesn't mean that He's always going to turn the circumstances. It doesn't mean that He's always going to heal. Where, what is faith if He always does what we ask Him to do? Where is faith then? Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, no matter what. I wonder if we went around the room, especially before the message, if we went around the room and we said, what are you thankful for? You know, this is Thanksgiving weekend. Some of you did that at your, at your Thanksgiving table on Thursday. You said, this is what I'm thankful for. And it's usually good stuff. You know, it's good stuff. Family, roof over our heads good food, we have all that we could have, and then some. I bet nobody said, I'm thankful for the pain that I've gone through and endured. Look, being thankful for the way God uses pain in our lives doesn't mean that we're grateful that He took someone from us, that relationships are all messed up, that we've lost our job. But to be thankful that God looks over us no, no matter what, and in fact, he's using these points of pain in our lives, sometimes excruciating points of pain, to make us more like Jesus. Because that's what happens when we move from strength to strength. We become more like Jesus.